0: Ladies and gentlemen, how do, welcome back to Grand Bags Funeral, the souped up milk float with three old chums from Norfolk talking about movies. Now, the point of the show is, is that we have three subjects and they are linked on the Grand Bags chain. It has been nine months, I believe, since the last episode. Remembering what the last link in the Grand Bags chain is will be our first port of call. I will be your host. My name is Simon. I am joined, as ever, by the Lord of the Fjord, Jarman John Harmon. All right, fella. How do? And the bard in your yard, all the way from the Greenbelt, Matt Riches. Hello. So, it's been a long time. Let's try and tell our 10,000 listeners why we've decided to have that sabbatical. If, John, you can give me your version of
1: events to start with. Well, I think it, it, it's number one, the COVID's happened and therefore we all had to stay at home. Oh, no, that doesn't work. No. Um, so so, uh, so I think it was like we couldn't have a party and therefore there was no point in doing it for a while because we couldn't have a beer because parties were banned in, in your neck of the woods, I believe. So I've heard. Yeah. Working lunch, darling. Working lunch. With cheese. Um, it's just we're useless, isn't it? <laughs> We we can't coordinate ourselves. I have been very busy as well. Okay, Matt, you
0: always seem to be busy, which is bizarre, because most of the time I hear from you, you're staggering out of a boozer.
2: Well, it's funny you should say that, because yeah, the last nine months have, um, in true grandbag style, I was very lucky in, what would it have been, about March time last year, to finally get my platinum membership through for China Whites.
0: Mm.
2: And so I've Basically, been using that left, right, and centre since the uh, since the card came through. It's it's worn away now.
0: And who can blame you? It's probably worn away from chopping up
2: all those fat lines with all your new celebrity chums. Basically, that's that's essentially what it, what I've been up to. Yeah. So I, as much as I would like to have made some of these recording sessions, I've been
0: busy. Uh, I I don't have an excuse either. So apologies um, to Matt's friend Simon, uh, our listener. <laughs> Who uh, who I who I got to, who I actually got to meet in the last nine months. He's a very charming chap. He uh, undoubtedly will be listening for at least the next five
1: minutes. Right now, back to the matter in hand. The point, of... quickly though, I notice Rance omits that he has managed to record at least eight episodes of his other podcast with his more celebrity mate. <laughs>
0: well. I you have to under, you have to understand i am under contract on that podcast and that is work uh, my more celebrity friend dan is he has a much more ferocious temper than either of you and he only lives around the corner so i am um, yeah i just i I have to do that. As much as I enjoy it, I have to do that.
2: Maybe we should bring him into the grand bags fold, and then he might light a rocket up our asses, and we might actually get this.
0: I want to do an interview with him about Dune. That's another story. Anyway, go. You t- tell you that's another story, joke. No. no. Oh, go on then. All right. Okay. So I was on. I was on the Thames. Yeah, I was on the Thames, and I was on one of the pleasure cruises going down the Thames. You know, the chap uh, doing the PA said. And there is Canary Wharf. It's 82 floors high. It was going to be 83, but that's another story. doom Wow. Not not even not, just a mild smile from the other two hosts there. Not even a laugh. Anyway, fucking hell. Right. <sighs> we'll fix it in post. Get more laughs at Yarmouth Mackerel Factory.
1: <laughs>
0: right, so, what was the last film? What was the last fucking episode we did? I can't even remember. Was it Cannonball Bastard? Cannonball Bastard, yeah. Would you like me to list the films that we discussed?
1: We ended it by saying we won't leave such a big gap. Right. We'll be back next week,
2: we said. Um, so we, we discussed A Town Called Bastard.
0: Masterpiece. The
2: Silencers.
0: Brilliant. And...
2: Speaking of masterpieces, The Cannonball Run.
0: Right, okay.
1: Why did we take a break? Yeah. Who or what did we choose as the link from Cannonball Run? Well, it's got to be the geezer with the funny eyes, is not it? Ah, yeah. It's the Doctor. Do do we
0: have a fucking name of this bloke, anybody?
1: Jack Elam. Jack Elam, right. Who is in
0: Robert Aldrich's fantastic 1955 film noir, Kiss Me Deadly. Now, I don't know if you guys have seen this before. Apart from recently, but this, this is a film that I've gone back to a few times just because it's so odd and it's, it's funny, it's bleak, it's violent, it's tough. It's a proper film noir, and yet it's also batshit mental with a side salad of nuclear fusion. This film knocks it out of the park, and I think it's probably... this is a risky one with films like Night of the Hunter and Mildred Pierce, etc. But I think it is the classic film noir, just because it is so nuts. Now, it's based on a novel by Mickey Spillane. The lead character in Kiss Me Deadly is Mike Hammer but it has changed considerably from the original book. In fact, Mickey Spillane really didn't like this movie. The screenplay was by, by a chap called AI... I think it's Bazaridis? Let me double-check that. Bezaridis. AI Bezaridis. And he uh, changed it up completely. We find out that there's something in the box, but it's the end of the world, essentially. Now, before uh, we go on any sort of spoil thon about it. John's gonna tell us a bit about, well this is what we usually do, usually we go to John first, he talks a bit about the making of the film etc, like wh- how it got financed blah 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 or any gossip okay. He's, he's basically um, our film journalist stroke hallow gossip columnist and then we'll go on to Matt who will do a running commentary of the inside of his brain from when he watched it which won't make hardly any sense to anybody... Most of all, me. ...but can be thoroughly entertaining. So over to you, John.
1: So it's funny that there's not, like, a phenomenal amount written about the behind-the-scenes of this, but uh, the, the background of it is Robert Aldrich wanted to make two Mickey Spillane stories. He licensed it through an independent production company called Park Lane Productions, uh, which was owned by a guy called Victor Saville, uh, one of the safer Savilles of of uh, the media industry... <laughs> and uh (laughs) topical well yeah like
0: but like us two years too fucking late
1: well i suppose i suppose those two productions kiss me deadly and my gun is quick could also be used in in savile as well and um it's kind of so he was going to do kiss me deadly and my gun is quick but then uh he he didn't ever make uh my gun is quick uh victor savile made that so so he only made uh kiss me deadly and as as you said the the screenplay was very loosely adapted from it, and I think uh, therefore Spillane was really annoyed the, the the poetic license that had been taken uh, with the character, and he sort of structured it uh, uh, dif- differently because the the book is quite a convoluted plot. I, I read the book many many years ago, and it is it, 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 he didn't want to. I mean, it's complex in the film, but he didn't want to make it as complex and so forth. So he wanted it all to be a search around this uh, mystery box, which is. Also something J.J. Abrams always talks about wanting to put in all of his films, this idea of the mystery box uh, being the thing that somebody has to find something uh, to unlock, this, and that kind of is the story engine. Right. Most of it was filmed in, in Los Angeles, and actually when you look at the film, it's an amazing time capsule because most, most of the locations were kind of massively developed in LA in the 60s, and, and therefore many of these things are now gone. Los Angeles looks Absolutely incredible. And a lot of it's filmed around Bunker Hill, right? Yes. And also where the original
0: Angel's flight was, because that was moved.
1: Yes, yes, you're right, you're right. The other thing as well, that one of the things that was underpinning this is the the writer, uh, Bez Readers, was on the Hollywood uh, blacklist, right. heavily uh, accused of being a leftist. And many people were saying there's a lot of hidden intention within the film because of nuclear element and so forth but he, he strongly denied it and just said he wanted to make every, every scene well he's it. not going to admit it is
2: he got me banged to rights governor
1: <laughs> one of the big things and i don't know this maybe maybe we'll get into this a bit later but also just how iconic the film is and it's really weird watching it now because you see all of the influences and it, it's weird to see like the impact you know, even things like "What's in the box" is is so clearly referenced in like mm. uh, Seven. What's in the box? Mm. You've got the 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 briefcase uh, light coming out of it in Pulp Fiction. What is it? Is that what I think it is? Mhm. It's beautiful.
2: <laughs> God damn it! What is
1: it? Yeah, and Repo Man in the in the back of the car.
0: What you got in the trunk? Oh. You don't want to look in
1: there. Totally. I mean, Alex Cox and Tarantino
0: are both massive fans of it. And in fact, on the if you can get hold yeah. of the Criterion Blu-ray, Alex Cox does a brilliant documentary on it. Yeah, ma- massive influence. I mean, it is
1: amazing. And the ending is is like you can see exactly where Spielberg took all the shots for the end of Raiders. And, and there's so much of Raiders a the Lost Ark at, at the end of it as well. Very good. Don't look at it. Shut your eyes, and Don't look at it, no matter what happens.
0: The ending's interesting, right? Because until, until 20 years ago, maybe maybe less, the ending didn't end like that. The ending was literally the house blowing up. Yes. Like there was a fire in a house and you didn't know if they escaped or not, or what have you. It's, but now, with the restored ending, it's much more terrifying. As you watch them like wander into the sea, like taking shelter in something which can provide no shelter at all because of nuclear catastrophe i mean it's a bit of a downer
2: it's a, it's a tricky one to follow cannonball run with
0: yeah 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 but that's the, but that's the whole point that's the whole point of us all of us all bagging grand bags or grand bagging whatever it is uh, that's the, that's the whole point of the show Variety, darling, variety.
1: And, and and the other the other thing that I hadn't appreciated when I saw it like years ago was obviously this was a predecessor to like Truffaut and Goddard with the French New Wave and yep. uh, it massively influenced them. And then, of course, they then ma- massively influenced 70s filmmaking in, in, in the US. So it, it's kind of actually as you watch it, it feels much more like a late 60s early 70s films and it's way ahead of its time and i don't i I don't feel like aldrich gets enough credit for that always although this is this is in the the library of congress as a cultural i don't think
0: aldrich gets enough credit he doesn't get enough credit for it for anything i mean the guy the guy's the guy's a master filmmaker who's crossed so many genres I mean, the bloke's amazing. I'm fascinated by Robert Aldridge. I love the fact that he comes from this, like, super wealthy family, uh, whether it's merchant bankers or whatever. Anyway, it's like Ivy League blood family. And he wanted to be a filmmaker. Mm. And his dad said, right, well, you know, uh, he, he wrote him out of the wheel. He says, you're on your own then. And basically kicked him out. And then... He went and did it, you know, at Warner's or whatever. Having someone like Jack Warner as a boss couldn't have been fucking easy back then. No, you know, you look at the films he's done. I mean, we're going to talk about another one of his films tonight. We've already talked about one on a previous episode, The Dirty Dozen. I mean, the guy's done an incredible amount.
1: You know, everybody talks about Hitchcock and da 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 da, and and, and various sort of. I just feel that he doesn't get the mention because he has had such an impact and it, it, it resonates. What's difficult is, is when you watch the film all these years later, there are things in it that were probably like unique and original at the time that may feel a bit cliched or pastiche now because you've sure. seen it so many times, but that's just because of the influence.
0: So through no fault of his own.
1: Yeah. And, and
0: you know, the, the beginning, the beginning credits going the wrong way for starters. It's the first time that was ever done.
1: Yeah, dead, Deadly Me Kiss. It was a. Yeah. <laughs> what's going on? Yeah, it's just bizarre. It's a really
0: bizarre film.
1: Can you remember that Turkish meme years ago? I kiss you. I just
0: saw, I just saw. You know, obviously, film noir is full of anti heroes, okay? But generally, they're a bit sympathetic. You know, Mike Hammer in this, not only is he not sympathetic, he's a brute. And not only is he a brute, he's actually stupid, you know. Uh, yeah. I mean, he's brilliantly. Brilliantly played by Ralph Meeker, who um, Aldrich has used before and after. He, he was obviously the the psychologist for Lee Marvin's Dirty Dozen. He, he puts in an incredible performance. And I think the other great perfo- performance, Maxine Cooper as Velda. Yes, yeah, she's brilliant. Yes. Right, Matt, so what did you think? Uh, of Kiss Me Deadly? Um, no, of like Wizard of
2: Oz. All right, well, I can talk about that as well. It's uh, all behind the curtain. Um, obviously, it's, it's one that I've not seen before because it's one of several billion films. I was intrigued when I first sat down to watch this trying to work out what was going to go on. And it feels like a film, not of two halves, but of nine tenths and then the last tenth is entirely different. You've got this sort of strange... Gumshoe thing going on, but whether you, you never, I never quite got a sense that the the nuclear thing was there and was a, a clear and present danger all the way through until the very end when he opens the gym locker and then it suddenly takes this weird, weird turn. Oh, when he
0: says it's warm,
2: yeah, there was, I mean, there was lots going on, and you, you sort of never really know quite what they're chasing or why you should, as you say, um, Hammer's a bit of an anti hero, he's like, I don't give a fuck about this bloke. I really don't and what was a potentially really interesting characters written out in the first 5 or 10 minutes and that sort of sends you off in one direction and then you go off in a completely different way while you try while he's trying to track down and work out what's going on mm. and then wham nuclear explosion what the fuck where did that come from can i just
0: ask one question yeah. Like prior to the nuclear explosion bit, and you were sort of saying like, then this happened, this happened. And I didn't like him, and that person wasn't very nice. Have you ever seen a film noir before?
2: I mean, probably not that many. No. So this is probably not a surprise. But
0: well, the general consensus is is that it's not about. They're not generally about nice people doing nice things. It's it's they're quite bleak. I appreciate right? that. I
2: appreciate people can can be absolute shits It's just that like there was, there was no one redeemable in that cast particularly.
1: Mm. The, the, the way they're all shot, every character. Looks creepy or, or irredeemable or some some underhand thing, and I think that, that that's a really interesting thing because you didn't see that in cinema at the time. Maybe you see it a little bit more now, but it's a bit of a lost art making everybody look so irredeemable. And not it's not just in their dialogue, but in the way they're shot as mm. well.
2: It's not, it's not, it's by no means a bad thing, it was just a bit of a oh, right, okay, there's I can't get behind anyone, I don't actually want anyone to be successful in this, and I know there's not going to be a happy ending to it, but. Yeah, just no one. Just,
0: just going back to what John was saying about how how people were framed as a, I mean, the it was it was photographed by Ernest Laszlo, uh, who is a bit of a god of cinematography. But you're you're right. Uh, you're both right. Whatever you're saying about it, you both found it interesting, right?
2: I wanted to see where it was going. I was quite intrigued all the way through. So it was on the edge of the seat stuff all the way through. But just. I never got any sense of I can predict where this is going to go.
0: Fine, okay.
2: Which is probably is is is, is, yeah, is Mark of a good film, but
0: right. Do you have your internal monologue for this, or did you see it so long ago that you've lost it? No, I still have it here. Um, Amazing, kept it safe. Okay, Grand Baggers, here we go. So Matt's internal monologue of Kiss Me Deadly.
2: Okay, this was a Saturday afternoon, I think, when I was watching this.
0: Whatever happens, Matt, whatever happens, smile on your face, clear and concise.
2: Deadly kiss me. Hmm, Interesting, good start. Well, you won't get far like that, love. Still, you know what they say, run a mile in a man's shoes, etc. Them's the brakes. Almost. (laughs) You wrecked my car. Not are you okay? What a wanker. Spillane's Mickey. Are these titles going the right way? I think that means Nikki's a cock in Irish, isn't it? Anyway, is this a porn film, the way she's breathing? I reckon her cardio fitness is a bit off. Oh, he is a charmer. Fugitive from the Laughing House. Great album title, that. Oh, hang on, he's warming up to her. If she likes flabby muscles, she should come and see me. Uh, who the fuck are these lot? they come out of nowhere. Then they're off the cliff. Big bit of wood, that. Focus now, come on, lad. It looks like Charles Hortry is Hortry is the nurse. Velder, ah, oh, my favorite Scooby-Doo's mates. <sighs> Where are we? Oh, hang on. Now we've got an, a cheeky Italian slash Greek fella, Nick the Greek, va-va-voom. That's gonna piss me off. <laughs> Mike's home. Is that a metal detector in the corner or am I pleased to see it? He's got birdhouses on his wall, that's a bit odd. Velda's coming over. I hope he says to her, Velda, 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 tell me more, tell me more. Uh, Mike and Velda kissing is about as sexy as AstroTurf. Still, looks like he's given her a pearl necklace. (laughs) Oh, it took him a while to turn the ignition on his car. Um, Can't be doing too badly if he's bought a new one. Drop the knife. Christ, it's the world's worst assassin. And what a waste of popcorn. There's an old man with a suitcase there. No, don't help him, Mike. You just push him. What a twat. Okay, he has offered. I'll let him off. The Italian grandad appears to have been the model from the dude from Itta, from Allo Allo. Uh, Christ, this phone message of Mike's is the worst spam message ever. Sure, Nick, help yourself. Dynamite and a pipe bomb. Nick and Vavavoom. Still a shit catchphrase. Still, at least he's dead now. Ha ha ha! Don't bother me, small fry. You play your guitar. That's a great line. Velda's at the bar, and she has a stripper pole. Good work, Velda. They say they'd let me breathe. Dun, dun, dun. Good music direction. Who's the lady that just snogs Mike? She's Friday. Maybe it's fish on Friday. Looks like Mike knows the Vulcan death grip. No, no, no. No win, no fee now, Mike. Not even says. Uh, Trivago, does he need a holiday? But he could, w- wish he would, could find one on TripAdvisor. Trivago looks like Bernard Cribbins. Carver's still in her dressing gown. Always bloody stairs and steps in this fucking film. They're always going up and down. Nick's about to die. Nick's dead. He's Vava dead. Why do women keep kissing Mike? He's just wandered into Vel, he's just walked into Velders for fuck's sake. The quest for the Great, what's it? Nice one, Velder. Mike's pimping Velder out, the bastard. That microphone just looked rude. Yeah, Mike, bottle of scotch, perfect time to drive. Absolutely, mate. And they've got Velda. So you, you, you go to the garage, absolutely. That's the best place to go. Nice philosophy from the goons. Uh, we're on this earth, such a brief span, we might as well be polite. What a great message to take out from this film. Hello, Mike. So, for the night. Oh, so, hello, Mike is for the night tied to the bed like that. Mm, Mike, no, I don't know what that says. Oh, Mike's burbling like the German captain in Kelly's Heroes. Take my word, free as a bird. Ooh, it's Hardy and rosetti and all that bar Nice poetry, love it. Hang on, the goon that isn't sugar is either Doctor from Cannibal Run, Jackie. Yes, it is amazing. She swallowed it. Mortician isn't quiet. Oh, now he's making noise after his magic tricks. Anyone checked on Velda? Velda, anybody? No one? No one's going to check on her? Right. Raimondo's locker. Empty. It's a locker key disaster. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, a hatbox. Bright light. Where's Carver gone, for fuck's sake? After a long pause from Pat, this takes. Film. This film takes a mad turn. It's a bit, gone a bit Manhattan Project and Los Alamos, etc. The hot box has gone. Old man Wilf Bramble is dead. Another dry slap from Mike. He's Mike Reed. A dry slap around the beak and all that. Oh, GE sobering. That's a sobering thought. Mist guzzling liquid and pills like rants on a weekend works do. Or Mike's guzzling liquid and pills like rants on a weekend do. I do. Another dry slap. But she has dreams. Oh, it's Gabrielle. Uh, the bloke loves his (laughs) Siberian illusions. Mmm, cerebral. Ah, what's in the box? Could be Radley's song, that. She's fucking shot, Mike. What the fuck? Now she'll open the box and it's like Raiders all over again. It's beautiful. Don't look into the light, Mike. Velda! The house goes up like it's in Thunderbirds. The end.
0: Ah, okay. There you go. Wow. Yeah. Nice.
2: Bearing in mind that I watched that about six months ago, I'm quite impressed that I remembered any of that.
0: Yeah. Well, this will. Be, I think this will be a running problem through tonight's episode, won't it? We decided the Grand Bag Link from Kiss Me Deadly would be the great Robert Aldrich. Am I correct in that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, I am, yeah. So then we went on to uh, probably his most celebrated film, the Betty Davis. Joan Crawford, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Chuck Norris, (laughs) The Expendables 8. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever happened to Baby Jane? Uh, (laughs) Made in 1962. Uh, Again made for Warners. Lucas Heller wrote the screenplay. It was based on a book by Henry Farrell. Lucas Heller also wrote, was one of the uh, co-screenplay writers for Aldrich's Dirty Dozen. So yeah, Aldrich gets a chance at a very serious movie for its time. Now it's a bit high camp, right? Not as high camp as what we're going to be talking about after this, but um, it's also a, it's also got a bit of a length for this film, so to speak. It's over, over two hours, which for a movie which feels like a play, it's quite long, really. Um, again, set in Los Angeles. It's a bit of a Shakespearean tragedy, with a bit of like bit of a I was about to say a Hollywood rub over, whatever the fuck that is. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Shakespearean tragedy with a bit of a Hollywood rub over.
1: Got a title for this episode, haven't we? <laughs> yeah, I think Hollywood rub over is what started the Me the Me Too movement. Jesus Christ.
0: Oh, I'd love wouldn't you love to see that on a poster, though? A Shakespearean tragedy with a Hollywood rub over anyway it made this hollywood rub over made a shitload of dosh for aldrich and warner brothers um from a budget of 980 grand it made nine and a half million which is uh pretty tasty and if you think about when you watch the movie it's obviously shot in quite a sophisticated part of los angeles but everyone involved from lucas heller robert aldrich um Betty Davis, Joan Crawford. All their gaffes would have been 100 times better than that. It's probably one of their outhouses. (laughs) Los Angeles, again, looks stunning. There's something about black and white and heat and concrete which just makes places look hotter. Do you know what I mean? Mm.
2: Mm -hmm. It doesn't sound like it. You could see the sweating streets when she was was driving around and going to the bank. You could sort of get a sense of it being...
0: Yeah, it's just there's something about, like... um, there's something about that light shine on concrete and glass that you can get from black and white. It just makes it look so much hotter. It's like it's probably why Peter Bogdanovich made the last picture show in black and white in Texas because it just looks scorching hot, doesn't it?
1: And I, I think black and white kind of picks up uh, heat waves better because mm, uh, right.
0: Well, it definitely picks up shadows as well, right? From sun. So the the basis of this story is. Um, and ba- and I'm sure uh, John will talk about the making of it, which is probably much more fascinating than the movie, although the movie is still very good. The basis of this story is there is a child star called Baby Jane Hudson, who is like a sort of vaudeville act in a way, but kind of bigger box office. You know, imagine vaudeville with a Hollywood rub over. <laughs> and then you've got it this child is a brat but she's been made a brat through being pushed into stardom by her father her father who she's very close with and then you have the long-suffering mother and the other daughter the other daughter is Blanche and the mother says to Blanche um, very early on in the film um, paraphrasing you'll get your chance Um, just remember um, basically, you're the talented one, you're going to make it and try to be nice to your father and your sister when you make it because they're both pretty spectacularly horrible to her. Prior to just the, that's, all this is kind of prior to the title sequence. At the title sequence, we see um, a beautiful coupe going towards a Hollywood gated house, revving the engine and running into a woman. Um, Then we fast forward a bit and there is Joan Crawford playing Blanche in a wheelchair, bizarrely upstairs, never understood that as she owns the house, that's just, that was a bad move from day one, what the hell was she thinking and her sister is baby Jane Hudson, who is now a raging alcoholic and looks like Miss Havisham with a massive beauty spot and too much makeup on and she is essentially Blanche's carer and you it, it is insinuated and uh, that um, Betty Davis's character baby Jane Hudson drove into Blanche and paralyzed her putting her in a wheelchair and essentially ending her acting career because she became a respected actress in Hollywood, and she always wanted her sister to be looked after too, so she would only sign deals, so on and so forth, if her sister would also get picture deals. The problem is, of course, Baby Jane Hudson was a very talented brat of a child, but she stinks to high heaven of shitscape as a modern day actress. Yeah, so that's the story. Shits and giggles, all kinds of crap in shoes. One of the best shoeings I've ever seen in someone's face from Betty Davis is absolutely incredible. It was like Histro Stoichkoff hitting a volley. It was a masterpiece shot. <laughs> Watching Joan Crawford, uh, if you turn the sound down and put on put on some Elvis Presley while she's having a meltdown and going round in the circle it's brilliant it's like if you put jailhouse rock on it's totally in time anyone's got a cut of hours to spare i recommend (laughs) doing that how did you work that one out well because i don't know well actually my daughter was singing um hound dog and then jailhouse rock earlier and then prior to me watching that and i just had jailhouse rock in my head while i was watching it and i was like oh yeah that's really funny actually it's while, she, while she's shrieking in pain, it looks like she's singing. Right. Release the cut.
2: Release the Jailhouse Rock cut.
0: Very well filmed. Very over the top in parts, but still genuinely scary. Betty Davis is genuinely scary. But my biggest surprise about this movie, as this is the first time I've rewatched this in years, is that how good Joan Crawford is.
2: Mm. Um,
0: she was written off so many times, probably apart from this film and Mildred Pierce. And Betty Davis was always the actor. And Joan Crawford was just a star, but in this, I thought she was brilliant. When she's on the phone to the doctor uh, and Betty Davis is behind it, there's that genuine fear. Probably because Betty Davis actually did give her a shooing. That's what she's scared of. I thought she, I, They're both brilliant in it. There, it's a couple of immaculate performances. That's whatever. Whatever happened to Baby Jane? The link is Robert Aldrich. Here's John with some background.
1: So yes, it's the the, the formation of the film. Was very much based on uh, like Robert Aldridge wanted these two actors who had a rivalry in Hollywood uh, because they were they were both stars uh, who had waned slightly, but they had they had quite a kind of uh, ongoing rivalry uh, with within within Hollywood, and he wanted to capitalize on that in in this film. Uh, he saw he saw the potential of it. There's a there's a really good series uh, on. It was on FX originally called Feud. Uh um, oh, that's great. With Sarandon and uh and Jessica Lang, where the whole the whole background story of this is the, the, the back and forth of their rivalry and it was just oh, a constant it's fantastic. Ar- argument love- going on and, and and it's really good. And it's a re- it's a real shame that they net they, they never made any more.
0: Yeah. I mean whatever happened to Baby Jane 2 would have been a bit of a problem though
1: no I, I mean feud like they were they were going to make more series of feud with other other rivalries oh
0: really why why
1: didn't they because the the guy who created it went to he went to Netflix
0: oh I see okay well the thing is with something like that you start that big with those two it's going to be pretty hard mm. to find anything as bitchy as what those two did to each other I mean the whole the whole Oscar pickup that Joan Crawford did on behalf of another actress just so she picked up an Oscar. Um, while Bette Davis couldn't. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So, so bitchy. Joan Crawford's story is amazing. It's like, come from absolute nothing. And Betty Davis said that uh, she made it to the top because she always took the casting couch. And Joan Crawford's riposte was amazing. She said, well, it's better than the cold, hard floor, which I think is amazing. Fair point. Yeah, there's a great book called Bette and Joan, The Divine Feud by Sean Considine, which is worth really worth a read neither of them come out well that's for sure like paddy's brother
1: <laughs> <laughs> aldrich was very quite deliberately capitalizing on this and and playing them off against each other, uh, other throughout and, and 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 it spawned a whole genre in the end which which was termed psycho biddy because a whole bunch <laughs> of films after this started coming <laughs> coming out with kind of this old like r- rivalry between people and and there was there was a follow up to this uh by Aldridge although it's not the, it's not the same story but it's it's in in the psycho biddy genre uh but uh Crawford dropped out of it I think uh, she got fired and uh, Betty Davies and uh Olivia de Havilland played the roles instead oh, okay. but it, was, it, it was essentially uh, uh I think it was called Hush Hush uh, Sweet Charlotte that was that was what it was called it's in the same genre and uh, uh and and that was very successful as well I'm gonna to have to hunt down loads more psycho biddy stuff. He made the killing of Sister
0: George as well, didn't he? That's that could be up there with a bit of psycho biddy.
1: I will, I will uh, send you the list of psycho biddy films so you can deep dive
0: into Please, them. Please, I need,
1: to, I there's, need there's, more there's, of that in my life. There's quite a few. <laughs> so, um, some some other interesting facts about it. Actually, when the film came out in the UK, it was certified an X. Ex- and when it came out on video in 1988, it was certified an 18 because it was still considered too scary and, and, and so. And then uh, ten years later, it was reduced to a 12. <laughs> so how the
0: times change. Did they take out the double um, psycho biddy fisting scene then?
2: It's in the director's cut though. Or the director's slit. That's an entirely different film in the psycho biddy genre. <laughs> That's in the porno biddy genre.
1: So from this, we'll go into gilf porn, I guess, yeah? Grandma, <laughs> we love you.
0: Grandma, we do. Though you may be far away,
1: we think of you. So uh, the, the other thing is, obviously, as you mentioned earlier, a lot of it was filmed uh, within L.A., but the scene on the beach... Was actually filmed in exactly the same place as the end of *Kiss Me Deadly*, which is where Aldrich's beach house is, and uh, so so both films were filmed. The end is is on the same beach.
2: I thought you were going to say something like a hark back to *Apocalypse Now*, where it was actually filmed on like a north north. It was on Chroma Beach. or something.
0: <laughs> That part of Malibu, uh, I've been I've been to that, and it's right by Duma Beach. So Malibu Beach joins Duma Beach, and you can see the PCH. Which in this movie, the PCH, the Pacific Coast Highway, I don't know, looks like a mm. just looks like a dusty path, doesn't it? Now it's a monster.
1: So the I suppose the last things are it was an it was nominated for quite a few Academy Awards: best best actress, best supporting actor, best cinematography, uh, best sound. But it actually only won one for best costume design. That's interesting. And it, and. That was a back then they had a category best costume design in black and white, which I assume they had one for color as well.
2: For those of you watching at home, the character in, you remember that snooker thing? Of those for you, those of you watching at home, the, the the pink is now behind the,
1: yeah. On black and white. <laughs> oh, <yeah>. uh, <laughs> and it, it it was nominated for the Palm Door, but it it didn't win many awards. It was nominated for quite a few, but it didn't it didn't win any.
2: Would you like another another connection? Yeah. We've just talked about Velda in our previous film. Did you
0: murder a baby called Jane? Is
2: no, no. <laughs> Velda, um, that the Maxine Cooper is actually in this film as well. Oh, she plays the bank teller. She's the bank teller. I feel like I'm not telling you something you don't already know, but
1: no, I didn't know this. I knew that she's gorgeous, man. She's Maxine Cooper's a beautiful, beautiful lady. So, uh, Matt, we've got in the bi- in the psycho biddy genre we've got hush hush sweet Charlotte, whatever right. happened to aunt a- whatever happened to aunt alice whoever slew auntie rue whoever slew auntie rue <laughs> what's the- what's the matter with helen i'm seeing a theme here whatever happened to baby toto is an italian parody of it apparently
2: anyone heard anything about phyllis <laughs> Right, I'm going to watch all of these.
0: So that is uh, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. If you haven't seen it, which you probably have, do dig it out, so to speak. It is, uh, is it brilliant? No. Is it worth seeing? Absolutely. Is that fair
2: appraisal? That's a fair one, yeah. Again, it's another one I hadn't seen. I sat through watching it just with my... Just incredulous throughout the whole thing because I thought both Davis and um, your woman were fantastic in it. It's so... Some of the, the fighting and some of the reactions in it are just so hyper-stylised and just sheer bonkers, particularly from Betty Davis, that I was quite taken aback by it all the way through, just the, the brutality of the way she treated her and the way she put up with stuff. Through the guilt, but...
0: It is shocking. It's still shocking. To think
2: that definitely. a film like that was made at that time. It's
1: also not as
0: early
2: as you think. True, It true. is the
1: 60s. It just looks like the 50s. Did, did you have any sense, Matt, Uh, seeing it for the first because i feel like this film has been referenced a lot in kind of comedy and and it's it's also heavily uh referenced in kind of drag uh culture Mm. and so i just wondered like did, did you have a sense like there were aspects of it where you feel like you've seen it because it has like i know like uh French and Saunders famously did a, a parody of it cuz I always feel like I've seen I'd seen this That's I'd amazing. seen this film before I'd ever seen it you know Definitely
2: the the French and Saunders thing I'd seen the drag thing makes sense when you when you look at particularly Betty Davis not so much Crawford but um yeah I mean I can't think of any immediately that springs to mind but a lot of the tropes of the film sort of feel like they've been used elsewhere since the setup the the phone you know, the, the cutting of phone lines the impersonations the poor little child motif that runs through it yeah 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 it definitely feels it definitely felt familiar which is probably shame and unfair to it in some ways because that was obviously the first of those sorts of things man I
0: think I th- no I think that's credit to it I think it's one of those movies which is now died in the wool of Hollywood right it's part of mm. the DNA of Hollywood and we would have even when you used to be able to when when not not so much rental, but when retail videos first came out in the UK, they were generally classic movies, right? Do you know what I mean? It was like okay, they could be that was affordable for film companies to put them out. The rights weren't as big, so on and so forth. It was films like whatever happened to Baby Jane. Robert Aldrich's *Dirty Dozen*, another one. *Where Eagles Dare*, *Camelot*. You know, musicals. Of some sort. old, old—not massively old movies, but older movies. And for instance, *Star Wars* wasn't out on retail when when these movies came out, okay? And so you, as kids, like like us, who would like bang into movies as soon as you get one of them. It's one of the first trailers on there. I mean, I remember getting Kelly's Heroes. I remember um, getting uh, Magnum Force. And trailer for Warner Classics or what have you, or MGM UA Classics, and Warner had a load of their back prints. There'd always be a trailer for whatever happened to Baby Jane. So even this side of the pond... And a much younger generation know about that movie. It's like the Cincinnati Kid. Loads of people haven't seen the Cincinnati Kid, but they know the Cincinnati Kid. You know, a lot of people haven't seen From Here to Eternity, but they know From Here to Eternity. It's one of those movies. I think it's just now part of the DNA mm. setup of Hollywood. I
2: suspect a lot more people haven't seen Who Slew Auntie Roo, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: But there's obviously
1: a reason for that, though, Matt. That's the thing. That's it's probably appalling. That's also if if it was filmed in Norfolk, that would be an amazing. Who slew Auntie Roo?
2: <laughs> that remake we need to get that made.
0: That's fucking great. That's brilliant. Let's let's make it. Yeah. Who slew Auntie Roo? Did you?
2: <laughs> and then the sequel. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: Who's Lou?
1: How mean, too? <laughs> blue? Blue? <laughs> blue. <laughs> Who? Blue? Uncle Gru?
2: Oh god, that's a different, entirely different genre.
0: <laughs> oh, that reminds yeah. me, John. It's like... <laughs> do you remember that TV series, yeah. Grooey? <laughs> do you remember the sequel, Grooey yeah. 2
1: didn't he. Didn't he. That was the normal. Didn't did he go on? <laughs> Grooey gr- <Gruy>, gr- <laughs> <Gruy laughs> grew. Gruy, grew. grew up to be in <laughs> that Michael Winterbottom porn film.
0: Yeah! Grooey got his balls. I saw Grooey do his dick!
1: <laughs> Grooey got bluey.
0: He. Oi! Oh, he, he, grewy, isn't he? Oh dear. I think we should just put this bit out. Watching Grooey get gooey <laughs> is enough to make you bluey. Made me spew!
1: Oh, it's certainly coming around, note, <laughs> isn't it? It's the interval. We need, it. We need an internal <laughs> We've monologue. We've got the interval music. <laughs>
2: people are discussing whatever happened to baby jane and Gruey. <laughs> in this ted talk i shall
1: where else could you get that intersection whatever happened to Grooey Dewey. i just need to can all the
2: film talk and just talk about
0: this right yeah oh fucking great amazing <laughs> Right, so uh, we've got to do Matt's internal monologue of whatever happened to Gruy Tui. I'm
2: not sure it can follow that.
1: Okay, sorry. Put the theme tune to Gruy under your monologue. Oh, that'll be awesome. That'll be awesome. Right, I'm...
0: It's amazing. (laughs) happened have the no army room. Did
2: you? I'm <laughs> oh, sorry. Right. Oh, I should have all <laughs> <file> over again.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Did you? Right. Ugh. Matt's internal monologue of oh whatever happened. <laughs> Just do it, I'm going to mute my mic,
2: okay? Bye! There are tears. There's a clown. Smoky Robinson's in town. Get your hat off, love. There's a dance. Ah, oh, nice to see Norman Wisdom get a look in. There's Garbage Pail Kids asking for a letter to Daddy. It's like the sister in Perry Mason. How's he playing that piano if he's dancing? Nice one, Mr Grimsdale. That's a freaky doll. Oh Blanche, you're the lucky one. Them Blake brothers are in the club. That's a severe fringe, Blanche. 18 years have passed. Help yourself to cigarettes. Nice. She stinks. It's a bit harsh. Sort your tie out, Ben. Nice exhaust. There is a shot of an exhaust on the screen. It's exhaust. That doll appears to have titles in her head. It's a novel by Henry Farrell. Farrell, Perry's grandad. It's Baby Jane's Addiction. That's a big bag of sandwiches, Mum. Nice. When your dog says woof woof, feed him Iliad. Oh, they've been on a bit of a journey. (sighs) Blanche and the parrot, they have so much in common. Jane loves a booze. Nice use of the beep there. These two must be having a great time together. Elvira, not that one. She knows what's what. Dr. Shelby, oh he's the boyo. The parrot is free. That cupboard of bottles looks like the morning after a night of a grandbag's Christmas party. dial Nice work. Six scotch, three gin. Quality ventricle- ventriloquism there. Blanche is like a Chucky doll. Christ, it's like misery. Ah, there's the budgie. Blanche looks like a Piero clown. She's not going to slide down the banister, is she? No, phew. Jaunty music for a shit situation here. The soundtrack is mental to this film. That note is screwed up. Thank God this is a short film. Wouldn't want it to go on for, say, three fucking hours. Nice to see Harry Seacombe get some work. Ah, no, it's Tung zi or Victor Buono. From the Silencers, I know him. Ah, there we go, just to flag that. Got the
0: link, it's all connected. Done there.
2: She smelled a rat. Yeah, absolutely, even when we don't mean to do it. Can't work out if the comedy accumulates accentuates the horror or not. That's a brutal slap. See you next Tuesday, Elvira. Ooh, cheeky. Letter to Daddy gets even more mawkish. And yet Jane comes alive. This is her moment. Her movement is more fluid. There's a muscle memory to her. Quick, say bollocks or something, Richards. You're getting deep here. The lies they tell each other. Delia, let's be having you. know oh, what that meant. Crawford's going for it with the Chockeys. Something classy like Thorntons, I reckon. Oh there's the checkbook. Blanche looks like she's about to get indigestion. Must be the chocolates. Go on girl, you can do it. Use the banister. Slide halfway down so it's not... so not time to worry about how you're going to get back up. Oh balls. Fuck me, Jane's a quick driver. Not an emotional disturbance. Oh no, oh no, not that. That's a kicker. That's a fucking shoeing. She should play for Stoke. Jane's fucking strong for a piss head. And now Elvira gets the boot. Smooth move, Elvira. That copper's a bit shit, isn't he? Elvira's gonna work it out, though. That's not a key, Elvira. Christ, Jane's a quick driver. Go on, E, twatter one. Don't put that hammer down, for fuck's sake. It's hammer time! Christ, it's like human centipede in there. Bells, always with the fucking bells. Run, Bates, run! Blanche can't get to the phone right now. Old flag, that's a bit harsh to your mum. What will I do, Blanche? Take the fucking gag off. Oh, flag's at half-mast. Flag's gone nonce. Here comes the super jeep. Edwin's a come. He ran off <laughs> from a trapped woman. That was weird. Okay, he's trying to help. Not helping too much, though. Jane's going to go apeshit. That's right, Ed. The chemist will help. Don't call the cops or out. Right? No, no, no. Just go to the chemist. Now, nah, get some fucking toothpaste in, yeah? Two mops by the back door as, the wheel, as she wheels Blanche out. Is she going to bury Blanche in the sand? That's a good sandcastle. Hope the tide's not on its way in for Blanche. Well, that's a turn up for the books. Bloody old Blanche. The end to this film is crackers. No, thank you.
0: Nice. It is indeed. It is. Yeah. Well done, Matt. Very good. Right. Well, that was whatever happened to Baby Jane. So. What did happen um, to Baby Jane? I think John chose the next link because I was going to say we go with Joan Crawford, which we did. But I said we'd go with Joan Crawford to Mildred Pierce, which is another great film noir. But John had an ingenious idea. It was like, no, why don't we do Mummy Dearest, the 1981 biographical drama about Joan Crawford?
1: You've got to hope. I'm not sure if she was. Surely Joan Crawford was dead when this film came out. Yeah, because she... She had died just before it, but she hadn't died when the book about her came out. Because when the book by her daughter called Mummy Dearest came out, she disowned, she disowned them. She well, disinherited kids, them they as well. She didn't get did a penny. Yeah, 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 di- yeah. Just disinherited, disowned because of the book that became the film.
0: But I think she was going to, well, according to the story of the film, she was going to disinherit them anyway, wasn't she? It was all about doing what she did, making her own way. It's tough at the top and all that sort of crap. One film this... So, Mummy Dearest is, is stars Faye Dunaway, the amazing Faye Dunaway, who does a pretty good job in what is a melodramatic hell-verse of a film. I mean, this film is mental. She's amazing in it? it.
2: It took the first 10 minutes for me to realise that It wasn't Joan Crawford. I was, I was sitting there watching you thinking, Why is Joan Crawford doing this?
0: Yeah, well, she's she, well, Faye Dunaway, Faye Dunaway is brilliant, right? Oh, yeah, no, of course, she not. is brilliant. And but it, no, I, 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 I get you completely, but the film is so weird because it's like if it was just directed by someone else and if it wasn't shot with so much soft focus so it didn't just i mean was it a tv movie feels like
1: it a TV it wasn't movie, designed right? to be a tv movie but it felt like one <laughs> for sure yeah i mean it's, uh, it's 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 great
0: fun although you're watching appalling things happen it's very camp it's it's a mental film
2: i have a confession to make that i couldn't finish it it just got to oh. In nine months.
0: <laughs> In nine months. I realised we've had plenty it. of time. It's, ti-
2: it's not the time. It's not the time. It's just I got to the scene where she's called to the school because her daughter's been caught with a boy. So I got quite a far, quite a far way mm. into it, and I, I couldn't take any more. It was just too brutal and horrible. You talk about it being a TV movie. I don't, I didn't think that yeah, at all. Just, it just felt it's... like relentless horror.
1: Matt, this this won a lot of awards. Mm. Oh, it it's,
2: it's fucking brilliant, and I will finish it. I
1: just couldn't. No, no. It, I, I, can I just list the Sorry. the awards it won? No, no, right, no. It. no, no.
0: No, It didn't win any good awards. It won the
1: worst picture, right. <laughs> worst actress, worst supporting actress. It was nominated for three. Three <laughs> of the actresses were nominated for worst supporting actress, and one of them won it. Excellent. Um It won worst screenplay. <laughs> And worst new star, and it, oh, it was nominated. That was in the Golden Raspberry Awards, and it also was nominated in all those categories in the Stinkers Bad Movie Awards. Really? So it, it
0: oh, a nine, nine nine Razzies, nine Razzies,
1: right? which is amazing.
0: Oh, that's the that's that's the Golden yeah. Raspberry,
1: yeah. So it it it, it completely but it made it made a shitload of money. Yeah, yeah. So you're you're not alone matt (laughs) i didn't think it was that
2: bad i just thought it was well maybe it maybe it was it just seemed too horrible to continue with
0: yeah i mean she if 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 the film is if the film is true and if the book is true and obviously there are two sides to every story it sounds like joan crawford was a monster of a human being
1: don't fuck with me fellas this ain't my
0: first time at the rodeo The kind of torture that she'd do to the kids, even the kind of the torture by <laughs> ways of making her look like a charitable human being by taking away presents and mm. giving them to charity. even that was done spitefully to punish children. It was just it's just this dark, dark, appalling human being who needs to be adored constantly
1: No. What's wire-hangers doing in this closet when I told you no wire-hangers, ever? I work and work, till I'm half
0: dead, and I hear people saying she's getting old.
1: And what do I get? A daughter! Who cares as much about the beautiful dresses I give her as she cares about me? What's wire hangers doing in this closet? Answer me! I buy you beautiful dresses. And you treat them like they were some rag. You two, $300 dress on a wire hanger. We'll see how many you find a hidden somewhere. We'll see. We'll see. Get out of that business. All of this just coming out, out, Me. out,
2: um, out. A scene where she gives away the dolls two days later and she's got a favourite doll and they're all gone when she comes back. And...
1: I mean, it, it's, it seems like when you watch Feud, the making of whatever happened to ba- Baby Jane, then you watch this, you know, they're two, two different portrayals of Joan Crawford, but what is at the essence of it seems to be that people are saying she was basically a narcissist. Who who had to claw claw her way to stardom, and then, as all narcissists are, is petrified of of losing their own attention. So a a child is the worst thing that a narcissist can have, I guess. You also,
2: I mean, you could also see in it that she was Mm. really struggling in a you know really male dominated world. She wasn't getting any younger. She was having to work. I mean, the film starts with her going through this ridiculous routine to try and stay young looking even though she wasn't particularly old at that stage but so you could see she was working really hard in a really hard environment and absolutely doing her best to to carry on a career and she was getting a shit time and not getting the films etc etc but even so the stuff that she did to those kids is just horrendous
1: that's that's that scene in the Pepsi boardroom where she goes, "Fuck you, fellas! This isn't my first rodeo." It's quite quite a scene in in, in its in itself. Yeah,
0: yeah. So I mean, it's weird, isn't it? Because moments like that, you're completely on a yeah. side. You champion her. It's just like, yeah, you go for it, and then you go back to her private life, just like, oh man, you just suck eggs. You're appalling. It's a real Hollywood tragedy without any Hollywood rub over. <laughs> that's what it was missing.
1: So, do you want a bit of background on this? Yes please yes so so the the film it was based on on the book by her daughter which uh, the independent producer f- Frank Yablin's so f- so f- to, for context Frank Frank Yablins was uh, uh, the president of Paramount Pictures prior to this so he he oversaw the commissioning of like the Godfather movies Chinatown uh, so, so he was he was the president and then when he stopped being the president he got an independent producing deal and thought he would try his hand at producing and screenwriting and he wrote the screenplay for this which is which is from what i understand fundamentally where it went wrong was it's just really patchy and melodramatic hold on a sec john sorry um so frank
0: frank yamplins was head of the studio or head of production. I mean, because like, wasn't wasn't Robert Evans at the yep, at Paramount so f- at that point?
1: Frank Yablins was the president of Paramount Pictures. Right. Okay. Okay. Whereas, uh, so so he he wasn't the head of production. That was somebody else. But he he was the the person through the sort of heyday, I guess, of Paramount Pictures. A, gu- a good president. His brother, uh, whose name escapes me off the top of my head now, but Erwin um, Yablins is the producer of the Halloween movies. Okay. So, so the, the, there's a there's a a, a family of, of uh, filmmakers there. So he he bought the film and he he wrote it and then got. Uh, I think because of the the work that he'd done with Faye Dunaway, managed to convince her to be on it. And the the script was patchy and very uneven. It was quite a bizarre script. And then the director, whilst experienced, just didn't seem to have the right take for it. So what happened was when when Faye Dunaway was making it. So th- th- this ultimately ended up as an almost unintentional camp comedy because of the, the direction of it, kind of misreading it. And Faye Dunaway completely absorbed herself in the role of, of of Crawford and everybody hated her on set. So apparently she was incredibly difficult to work with. She insisted on her husband being on the set and then also uh, the, the daughter insisted on having her husband on the... Set. Apparently there was this constant argument going on between the two husbands of, of, of the two two people behind it because they were all arguing over the portrayal of Joan Crawford. So, by all accounts... F- but also, yeah. also Dun- 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 Dunaway's um,
0: husband at that time was Terry O'Neill, yes. right? Yes, yes. So, the person...
1: Should, and he wasn't
0: he an executive producer on it anyway well, no, he was
1: made an executive he was made an exec producer oh, by by her. her. she insisted on having him there to advocate right. for her so she, he was made an exec producer as was uh christina oh, crawford's husband so so it, it, it's there was right from the get-go all of this kind of charge a, a bit like any crawford film there seemed to be all this this backbiting going on behind and and then when the film came out, Dunaway obviously got hit with lots of kind of negative critics, just saying she's overacting and stuff. And she very much blamed it on the director, saying like it's a director's job to rein an actor in and, and get the performance right. As an actor, you're supposed to go there, and and that she felt the tone was wrong. And it kind of it it re- it really yeah. kind of killed her career because she was at her height. Uh, as she went into this and it she didn't really do a lot after it um, in, in any major way for some time I, I think like the next film she did after this was Supergirl you know so so it it's, she refused to talk about the film for mo for, for years and only briefly mentions it in her autobiography because she was oh. so pissed off uh, that she she just felt like she had been sort of slightly led down a garden path and they should have they should have balanced it out more because it is it tonally, her performance is all over the place because of the direction. Oh no, I,
0: I and I agree. And Matt was saying that her her performance is amazing, and I think it is amazing. Hmm. If if you take it out of the context of that film, isn't she
2: playing a character um, who was all over the place?
0: Yeah, but but is anybody that sort of crazy and camp and mental all the time? Who knows? Do you well, know I th- what I mean? Think the... But I I she's totally. It's weird. She's totally believable. The rest of the film isn't. So therefore, she looks like this weird, sorcerous, crazy nut job, all of the time. So it is unfair on Faye Dunaway, I think.
2: Yeah, but they're not showing you the scenes where she's making sandwiches for the kids or anything like that. These are the moments of points where they're exploding and it's one long set of explosions from
1: mm, yeah.
2: Dunaway as Crawford. So.
1: I think one of the problems is, is because of the way it shot, it, it's shot. It's like you said earlier, it's shot like a TV soap opera. And therefore, histrionic acting when when shot in such a bland way, and to be fair, like most of the supporting actors are pretty dreadful or fairly flat themselves. So you you, you the, the, yeah, the tonal I mean, elements are are out of whack in that sense. It, it feels it feels like
0: the first three parts of a six part TV mini series that would have been screened on ITV. Yeah.
2: Hallmark it's mate. like.
1: Hallmark. It's just bizarre, yeah. It's bizarre.
0: It is bizarre.
1: I was I was interested in this film because I've I've seen it talked about in in this sort of cult way, and it's been referenced a lot. Um, again, it, it it's a go to it's a go to thing uh, within kind of dragon camp. It, it, it's a source for, for for many kind of camp. Yeah, reenactment sure. and and I wanted to I'd never I'd never seen uh, uh the performance by Faye Dunaway and it is fast particularly those scenes like like coat hangers that's become like a meme now and 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 there are bits in there where it's just sort of batshit great and it just comes out of nowhere so quickly yeah that's it
0: it's like Vesuvius explosion but with no warm up and it's like
1: whoa where did that yeah. come from man
0: but then again you know if someone has that kind of temperament it does come out of nowhere I, mean, I don't know it's a tricky you can
2: see at the start she doesn't take much t- to flip at the the maid who's cleaning cuz she going she goes and starts looking under she's looking for trouble and looking for problems just looking underneath a, a bowl or something like a plant pot in the room and finding something
0: yeah and then it's weird it it, show, it, it shows her getting on her knees and scrubbing as well it's like what you're supposed to feel some kind of empathy with this psycho now. I don't know. It's like because oh, I don't. She just seems like an absolute nut job that everyone's petrified of.
2: She's not grounded because she does her own cleaning. She's crackers because she's a cleanliness freak, and it's just yeah. There's nothing There's nothing normal about that character and that yeah. portrayal. So.
1: Apparently, Dun Dunaway said when they were making the film, when she would go back to the house that was rented for them while they were making the film she felt she felt crawford in the room with her and she just felt this 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 haunted soul just hanging around her that couldn't rest and it, it, she she was very traumatized and the whole thing took a very uh heavy emotional toll on her and in 2016 she said she wished she'd never actually made the film because it it had such a negative impact on her career
0: oh i'm sure it did it did i mean as you're saying it's like the first movie after it that you could think of is Supergirl right you know and if you if you think if you think of her work up until Mummy Dearest it's phenomenal yeah I mean she's like she's like Meryl Streep before Meryl Streep's happened yeah it's it's nuts you know it's like if you I mean if you think about her performance in Bonnie and Clyde in Little Big Man in Chinatown they're revolutionary roles they're women. They're strong women. Always attractive because Faye Dunaway was exceptionally attractive. But they're they're strong women with massive insecurities, mm. and she was brilliant at
1: playing that. Well, you Absolute can see why she got this role, role as well. So, I, I, so yeah, you've got to feel uh, for her a bit. I'm just looking at uh, uh, well, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. just looking at her credits afterwards, and yeah, she. I mean. Barfly is not a bad film, but it's it, it was never it never. That's it, a good it, film. It, no nobody saw it, it. and though. then uh, the Thomas Crown Affair remake, uh, an episode of Columbo, <laughs> and The Rules of Attraction, and and The Yards. I mean, it, it, there's literally f- seven films. Oh, she was in. She, hold on, she was
0: in Costa Rica's Arizona Dream, right? Oh With yes, yeah, Joy yeah, yeah, yeah. That was yeah. a good movie. That was a good movie. But again, it's like, it was almost in homage. Do you yeah. know what I mean? You know, and, and also The Yards is very much that way. I mean, that's James Gray's second film, I think, after Little Odessa. And you've got Faye Dunaway and Jimmy Kahn, two of these, you know, without sounding rude, over the hill. Yeah. Not quite megastars of their time. Do you know what I mean? well, Dunaway was almost a megastar, you know? I think she was just like, she could have been huge and she could have been huge for years. So this film did a real piece of work on her.
1: Yeah, yeah. Because she, it, it, she never really truly recovered from it. And she has, as far as I can tell, she hasn't made a film in uh, nearly 20 years. Well, do, do you
0: remember the Academy Awards when her and Beatty came on as Bonnie and Clyde? And the whole balls up with La La Land and um, the eventual winner, which was called. It was brilliant. What was it called? A forgotten it moonlight. It. Moonlight. Moonlight. Yeah. Watching those two come on together, it's just like, yeah. There's something about staying out of the limelight. Both of them had so much work on their face; it looked like someone had taken a blowtorch to them. It was appalling. <laughs> Jesus. Right. On that note, uh, Matt's internal monologue of Mummy Dearest, the film he didn't finish <laughs> in nine months. <laughs>
2: It's 4 a.m. Ice. My God, that's a lot of gin. Where's the soap? Yes, it does. Casting by Lynn Stairmaster. Is that handwriting right? Face into the gin. Ah, the breakfast of champs. Take two bottles into the shower, yeah? The size of that rug, crikey. Ice Follies of 1939. Ah, I see she might like my book about lighthouses. Oh, it's a script. Directed by Frank Purvey I think the handwriting is off there still I can handle socks I'll have my vengeance Say Joan's eyes at the agency officer I got you the baby Different times Nicholas Parsons has brought the baby That's a weird party Christina looks a little freakish Greg loves a cravat Oh Joan, let her win for fuck's sake I will always beat you. Bloody hell. You go, Christina. Christ, the pool house. Oh, Greg, (laughs) you gravel-voiced enabler. This is fucking brutal, that haircut. Jesus. Andrew Marr is the waiter. Truth is, you're getting old. That's also brutal. (laughs) Greg looks like he's having a stroke. She's going to town. That bed. Oh, she's. Oh, whatever that is. Greg is a second division Charlton Heston. You not? She's not going to town. she's is going she? to she's burn going that to bed town. in a sec. Oh, that's it. That's because she was smoking in bed wasn't she when she was pissed. Greg is a second division Charlton Heston. Christina telling the dolls off. Fuck. Then the toys are gone. Double fuck. The sacking from Mayor is. It's hard to say anything about this other than Jesus. That's horrible. Tina, bring me me the axe. Sai, what do you make of Joan's axe technique, by the way? Just interested to see. I thought, what? well, she's at the point where she's chopping down a tree. She's using an axe, and I was just intrigued. I thought that would probably be your favourite part of the film. Oh right, yeah, Let's t- What with your what with your axe? T-
0: it's, it's all in uh, her. The thing, it, it was it was all in the it was all in the shoulders. She's never going to cut a tree down like that.
2: That's what I like to call your um, expertise. Vol. <laughs> Ah, uh, quality stubbornness well. from Christina over the, the raw meat. A plate at the bottom of the stairs. Looks like she's going to launch into Anything Goes from Temple of Doom there. That housekeeper is a, is a rare one as well. No wire hangers. The light on Crawford's creamed face. Great album title, etc. Is scary as fuck. She can't be happy after the Oscar. Fuck me, this is horrible. <laughs> Christ, there's an hour left. We're at boarding school. Right, she's got older. The rare meat still present. Dunaway is amazing in this. Joan's arsehole. She's on the sofa. It's shopping versus school fees. I cannot watch any more of this film. I'm out.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. To any listeners out there, I, I imagine um, you won't watch this film either. <clears throat> but it was a very good choice by John. An interesting choice. and Which means that in our next episode, we've got to find a link. And permit me, if you will, I would really like to do, after talking about their blowtorch faces, Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah. That's a nice
1: segue into a, into a, into a classic.
0: Well, it's, it's, it, it is a masterpiece. It's a great director. The soundtrack's amazing. It also brings us Gene Hackman, Warren Beatty, Arthur Penn, uh, Gene Wilder. Which is bizarre. Do you remember him in that?
2: Then we can do Stir Crazy.
0: Well, I was going to say no, but um, we'll talk about that off off, off air. It's, it's been a slow oiling of the cog, so I'm, I'm glad you've bared with us. I'm, I, I promise you next time the show will be slicker, like Grooey's Gooey. <laughs>
1: That is is Simon laughing, not a train coming in at Sheringham.
2: Gradual (laughs) deflation of a balloon.
1: I really hope our two listeners are the same two, two viewers of Gruy. Well, I hope it's
0: not Gruy because we're down to one.
1: Um, okay,
0: right. Uh, uh, so that's that's normally the end of the show, but we generally have a bonus at the end because our, our friend of the stars, and that's John Harmon, who's, who's worked with, I don't know, at least... 14 d-list celebrities in his time he does go to some parties and stuff and he always gives us a bit of goss so uh, john your celebrity story i was going to say of the month but of the nine months
1: so th- this is actually the first celebrity story i think of my life because it happened when i was nine okay so uh i was wow. traveling to canada with my family and we were at norwich airport which is a tiny airport, as you can appreciate. Um, uh, we were going to fly to Holland before flying to. Can- you can't fly to Canada from 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 Norwich. They only have a small plane. Um- I fucking <laughs> hope not. So uh, we we were Tr- truncher. <laughs> we were we were at the wait, no, very small waiting lounge or whatever it was was um, in the airport and. I was eight, and my brother was about six. And in right. comes uh, <clears throat> renowned ventriloquist of the time, because uh, this was a, this was would have been eighty four. So you you would have prime prime time television had kind of what are now called pedophiles, but at the time they were kind of old men who entertained and racists and racists. <laughs> They were sort of old men who dressed up with puppets and stuff, and had and did ventriloquism. And uh, the 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 top the top ventriloquist of the time was, of course, Keith Harris, and his sort of ugly duckling. You be careful duck where you go, Orville, with this. Right? It was called Orville, and so he comes in, and he's got his he's got his luggage and stuff. And me and my brother are like, "Wow, it's Keith Harris." And like we were in awe, and it's like, oh, you know, we, we, we can meet Orville, you know. And, and he had this cute voice, and da da da. And we we're like, great, go over and speak to him. We went, oh, oh, Keith Harris, Keith Harris. And he looked at us, and we were like, where's Orville? And he went, in the fucking suitcase.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and then he fucked off, destroying. <laughs> you should have seen the look on my brother's face. He thought Orville was dead. Well, <laughs> oh, poor Don.
0: In the fucking suitcase. (laughs) That's amazing. Oh, dear. He'd obviously had a heavy night at the Mischief Tavern in Norwich. That must have been the precursor to those
2: sort of after-hours things that um, comedians would always do, where you'd get things like Keith Harris doing a bit of blue. bit of blue for the grands.
1: Yeah. On Chroma Pier with with Gruy. (laughs) The thing is, dear listeners... That is not my only ventriloquist from the 80s story. So next time, you'll get the next one. Amazing. Oh, come on. Do it now. Do it now. They can't wait another nine months. So do you remember Nookie Bear?
2: Yes, Roger de Corsi.
1: Roger de Corsi. So th- th- this isn't, this isn't uh, uh, me experiencing this. This is a friend of mine who experienced this and told me this story. So I can't completely verify its its truth. So he he was at... No, it yeah, is true. It, it, the way he told it, it was definitely true. So he was at this celebrity party uh, in a in a high rise flat in London somewhere, and um, he and everybody turned up, and it was like you, you know you know like uh, in a in a council flat, you used to have these uh, drawers that between the kitchen and the the lounge where you'd sort of put food through. Can you, have you ever yeah. seen that? Where you, you yeah. have this, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's at a party and there are people in the lounge and there are are, but the butler's yeah 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 so and there are people in the lounge you know having beers and and there's people in the kitchen having beers and he notices roger DeCourcy is in the kitchen on his own with a with a plastic bag of of, from tesco's and some beers in it and he's he's essentially on his own because no one wants to talk to him because he's a fairly dour bloke by all accounts He's he's sipping on a a can of Red Stripe and suddenly he goes, has an idea in his head, opens the butler doors and you go, you know what would excite this party? I'll get the bear out. And so he gets Nookie Bear out (laughs) and starts trying to do his blue routine through the butler door. And it it lands like a fucking lead (laughs) balloon, like a complete like cringe factory. And so my friend swears on his life. He's then walking past the kitchen. Like this is completely crashed. And he walks past the kitchen. And Roger DeCourcy is talking to Nookie Bear. And Nookie Bear says, everyone thinks you're a cunt.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. Oh, God. That is amazing. I've got one question. About your friend's story here, celebrity party in a council flat. What year was this? In a high-rise. What the
1: fuck? This was in 1999. So you've got
2: your Goldies. You've got probably Alex James is there right. talking about cheese and Roger DeCoursy. <laughs> you, you've got
0: your Goldies. <laughs> That's amazing. You got your Goldies. You got your Alex James talking about cheese. God, oh, you sound bitter. You got your goldies. <laughs> <laughs> I, you got your goldies, you got your decoursies. T- I
1: think I think to be fair, when he says celebrities, it's very much end of the pierce you know, there's probably like grot bags, <laughs> grot bags. And, and wordy, you know, like <laughs> Gruy could have been there because it would have been just oh. the right time for Gruy as well. So. Yeah. Oh yeah,
0: Gru Gru Gruy was up and Gruy was up and coming. He probably crashed into a, one of, through the plywood door to go for a line of gear, and then there was Grop There were. Was- there was Grotbag sucking on Johnny Bull. Oh, grew. he's not had a
2: bad career by the looks of him. He was in Twenty Four Hour Party People.
0: Yeah, he was. He played Nathan
2: McGough. He was in Chernobyl.
0: Oh, I wish he had been. <laughs> I didn't even re- I didn't even notice this, but he was in bloody Ted Lasso. I haven't watched Ted Lasso. I couldn't get past the first episode.
1: You got two. You got a two for there. Two for one. Oh, that, that was amazing. Thanks, John. I
0: <laughs> there's celebrity, and then there's John celebrities. That was incredible. <laughs> <laughs> you got your goldies yes. you got your decorurcy
1: they're all there we say all of them in, they're all there in <laughs> Stella street <laughs> yeah. all the stars
0: all the stars when they probably every
2: episode of Stella Street wouldn't it? Yeah.
0: right that's gotta be it surely I think we've bored people yeah. enough now it was lovely to uh speak to you guys after so long um we will be back in three weeks, and we're going to keep to this. Three weeks with Bonnie and Clyde. Then I reckon we go Reds. Then we go Chinatown. They're three Classic killer movies. Movie. We can watch all of them. What do you say? Sold. Done. Do it. Make um, it happen.
1: Let's do it. We can. Yeah.
0: We can do that. We can do that. Come on. We can do that. Amazing. Right. Thank you. Grandbaggers, we've been Grandbag's Funeral. Ta-ta for now. jury And the Goldies. Soupy. Soupy? <laughs> oh, gee, my brain's soupy. Um, what the fuck did you just say? I can't remember. Did I mention a chroma? Sorry, we've got sorry, mate. I'm, we've got a bit of a delay between you and me. I, I not can't do much about it. I thought his web
2: connection looked a bit wobbly. Your screen, your image is just frozen. But...
0: Oh, can I, I? need a pee first. I'll be back in a bit. Bye. I
1: think
2: it's just cut all the other film chat out. Just do this.
1: The film chat should always try and try and create these moments. Cool. Hold on a sec, sorry, cut this bit. I I
0: yeah, I'm back. I don't know what happened there. Um, look can you hear me? Yeah, but
2: I did wonder when we were coming into this. But these are three pretty dark, dark movies. I'm quite wondering how we're going to make anything vaguely amusing out of this. But we managed it. All it took was psycho biddies.
1: Whoever
0: slew anti rule. Whoever slew Uh, anti rule. Cut that out, fuck it.